2: Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. RTE executives are grilled by politicians at a Oireachtas Media Committee. TDs and senators spent several hours trying to get to the bottom of who knew what and when when it came to the payments to the Late Late Show star.
3: Why as Chief Financial Officer would you let that
4: go? I wasn't aware of what they related to. I wasn't involved ah, in Ah, would processing. you stop? No, I wasn't involved You didn't involved ask.
5: In... You didn't no. ask.
4: The Chief Financial, Financial to, no, Officer
2: didn't ask. It also emerged that the former RTE Director-General D Forbes was asked to resign on June the 16th, almost a week before the scandal became public. We debate and discuss all of today's events, so do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. RTE executives faced new questions today about its arrangements for payments to its highest paid star, Ryan Tuberty. The Aractus Media Committee spent several hours trying to get to the bottom of who knew what and when about the financial arrangements. Tonight, Media Minister Catherine Martin said today's appearance at the Media Committee has revealed a shocking failure of governance at senior management level in RTE and said it had not camped the considerable disquiet about the lack of accountability at the station. First, here's Hannah Murphy on today's hearing.
0: Seven disastrous days and seven officials from RTE hauled before a media committee to try and explain undeclared payments to its top earner, Ryan Tupperdee. Already infuriated that the former Director-General D Forbes would not be present, politicians filed in, armed with uncomfortable questions for the state broadcaster.
6: RTE fell far short of the standards expected of us as an organisation. I apologise for this egregious breach of trust with the public.
0: And members were less than impressed by the answer they were given when they asked why some payments to Ryan Chaboty were labelled consultancy fees.
3: Why, as chief financial officer, would you let that go?
4: I wasn't aware of what they related to. I wasn't involved. Ah, in would processing. you stop? No, I wasn't involved. You didn't involved ask. In... You didn't no. ask. The, Chief Financial to, Officer no, didn't sorry, ask? You've got to understand the barter account was under the control of the commercial division.
0: The committee heard misstated fees between 2017 and 2019 related to a loyalty bonus.
4: Ryan Tuberty just due a loyalty bonus at the end of his contract of 120000 That was never paid, was never accrued for any accounts, but for an unexplained reason that 120,000 was credited against his earnings. That's under investigation at the moment.
0: And it emerged that Ortiz's chair asked for D Forbes' resignation, effectively freeing her from having to answer to committees like this one.
6: The Audit and Risk Committee made recommendations, and one
5: of those recommendations was to ask for her resignation.
1: And did you ask for it? I did. Why did you accept the resignation? Could you not have invoked clauses to ensure that the the key witness would be here to answer questions, Would be that we could compel that person who would still be in situ to answer the questions the people of the country deserve to hear the answers to? Yeah,
3: perhaps, and she still has the option.
0: The spotlight will remain on RTE tomorrow when the Public Accounts Committee gets its opportunity to challenge executives on the hidden payments to Ryan Tuberty and ask why previous figures shared with the committee were wrong. Hannah Murphy, Virgin Media News.
2: Well, I'm joined now by the group head of news at independent.ae, Kevin Doyle, former RTE broadcaster Keith Walsh, Fianna Fáil TD, Neve Smith, and Sinn Féin's John Brady, who were both on today's media committee. You're all very welcome to the programme. And Neve, I'm going to start with you because you were the chair of that committee. Do you feel that we are closer to getting clarity about what happened in RTE after that four hours of grilling today?
5: No, not really, to be honest with you. Um I feel that we got half answers. Um, I think that despite the committees right across the board, all of the elected members, their you know, interrogation, if you like, in a very respectful and fair manner, I'm always mindful of that, that we didn't get any clarity on, I suppose, who put together the deal, how the mechanisms were really put in place. Um I feel that, you know, I don't feel that the confidence has been regained in any way of the executive. I feel that we were led to believe that they all worked in silos, that they weren't communicating with each other, which I don't think is a credible answer. I feel that the, the board, up to this point, I felt that the board were blindsided on all of this, really, to be honest. And, and again, you would have to ask yourself, what is the relationship? Is it really a working relationship? I mean, I think Robert Shaw today gave a very clear and articulate view of Both the standing of the board, but also as a staff person, how they feel uh, not just let down, but I mean, I was trying to extract from him what has the working relationship been with the board as well as the executive. And to be honest, I don't think any of my colleagues or myself are really any, have any definite or clear answers after today. Did you have the right players before you today to answer those questions. Well, of course, today was only the starting point, uh, Kieran. I just want to say that we were kind of using today as an opportunity to bring in the executive and members of the board. At the end of the meeting, I think when we have had all the deliberations that we did, I made the proposal that we would invite in uh, Ryan Toberty and Noel Kelly Management uh, because I think they're a key part and players to all of this tobacco. Um, I would hope that D4s. I, I appreciate she's unwell at the moment, but that she would be in a position to come before committee. So I think this is the start of a process. I don't think it's by any means the start and the end of it.
2: Okay, John Brady, we did hear, you know, this word silo has been repeated a lot today and we heard the Taoiseach saying this morning that it was not credible to believe that D. Forbes was the only one who had full knowledge of the payments. And yet it was a line that was stuck to quite rigidly by uh, all of those who appeared before the committee today. The notion that there is this deferential attitude to the DG in RTE, do you buy that?
1: No, I, I, I certainly don't buy it. I, I certainly um, believe that uh, D Forbes should have been at the at the meeting today. Um, it was revealed that uh, the chair um, issued. Um, Uh, a notice to her on the 16th, um, which only came to light today, um, that only eight days later um, was the minister, the Lion Minister, actually informed that her her resignation was sought. So what we see is a a catalogue of huge errors, in in, in my mind, in in terms of the dealing with it. Um, There is an attempt to portray Dee Forbes as the only person with all of the information. I do not buy that for one second. What we're seeing today at a committee was a, a classic case of a lot of people trying to cover their own backsides, essentially, um, and raising more uh, questions in, in terms of um, why did they not raise flags when very serious issues in, in terms of the use of a barter count, for example, um, were coming before people. Um, we were told that this was um, an unusual um Uh, move for for the barter account to be used like that. Um, But we certainly know there was no governance, proper governance in in, in terms of the operation of, 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 of that.
2: If they weren't aware of the full details of the deal, if you were to accept that, they are equally remiss for not flagging concerns about the potential danger of a deal like
1: this? Well, so, so, certainly, that's also I mean, part of role. the role. You know, um, those <laughs> officials certainly are, are, are not, um, you know, working within RTE for a free ride. Um, they have um, serious responsibilities. They're supposed to have serious roles. And I, I certainly believe um, if they did not spot, and I don't buy it for a second, we, we know some of them are involved in uh, the negotiations. We were told um, by, um, you know, the uh, Director for... for uh, 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 commerce, um that you know she was es- essentially told to write off uh, the in- or you know issue payment on, on on the invoices for consultancy fees, something that she hadn't done before never saw to. This was ask the, director any classic, the, the, the director of commercial
2: journey. The
1: director of commercial never sought to ask questions around that. We had the head of finance a, a, again you know, not asking questions in, in, in terms of the nature of it, even though... I think he, he said he, he came he in said, after the majority well, of the deal had been negotiated. He had been involved in, in uh, the, the, the process as well. So, look, I, I, I think there were serious failures there. Um, but also, I, I, I think there's serious questions there for, for the chair um, also of, of, of the board that, um, you know, shunley rallied did not notify the line minister, uh, Catherine Martin, of her decision to essentially uh, sack uh, the, the Forbes. And that raises serious questions here. But I think, again, it does expose a serious, um, you know, mismanagement, serious governance issues at the heart of RTA because essentially we're dealing with public money and I I, I think there is this train of thought that, you know, they can get away with it.
2: OK, Keith, did you see evidence of that when you worked there, that people were slow to challenge or question whoever was ultimately in charge? Did that culture exist?
4: Yeah, well, of course, yeah. You'd have, like, a hierarchy, and then you just, you know... I think, you know, as you went down, you just kind of did what you were told, you didn't question it, and that was it. You know, it was... I'd say that is the case. And, you see, with with someone like RT, you'd always be afraid to be on the wrong side of the wrong person. And would you not get the job then, or would you not get the thing? Or if you, you know, if you maybe, you know, spoke up about something, as people did. Uh, and, 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 you know, there was, there, was, there was lots of rules about how, you know, how you could act, what you could say on air, what you couldn't say on air. If something was like... I could imagine when this news broke, there would have been a conversation in, in Radio 1 where they would have said, we need to talk about this, we need guests on, we to talk about this. 2FM, don't mention it. This is going on at the moment. Don't even mention it on your social media. Don't say anything. So, like, you couldn't even, like, say anything against the organisation, within the organisation. They'd say, well, it's to do with, like, you know, uh, you know, this is an ongoing investigation or whatever, so let's not say anything. Well, in
2: fairness, it. I do think a lot of people feel that the station has actually covered this.
4: No, no, absolutely. Very
2: comprehensively, absolutely. very well. What I'm
4: saying is, but, but you don't... You know, if someone tells you to do something, you, you, you do it because for fear of your job, kind of, you know, as well. And it, it just... I, I feel like... This was a great opportunity for RTE to come out, not out fighting, but out and sort of maybe explain themselves and say, look, this is Ryan Toberty. He gets paid this amount of money. He brings in this amount of money. It's very important that this money comes in because then we can do news and documentaries and all that kind of stuff. This is how we do it. Now, our hands were tied at how much money we could give him because of X, Y and Z and the, because of the public service and all that kind of stuff. So we had to go all this way. Now, we shouldn't have, but we did. And we're going to fix all this, you know, but not this, just not saying anything. Like, just write it out, make it, like, you know, There as a... They're a media organisation. They're terrible at communication.
2: Okay, for you, I suppose, Kevin, I would say you followed this today. There was lots of conversation still about this commercial deal and how it was arrived at. What are the outstanding questions at this point?
7: Well, I think there's quite a lot, to be honest, because we know what we knew before today. And we haven't got clarity. So there, there's, I think there's at least five key questions that the Public Accounts Committee will probably go back at tomorrow. The first one is the phrase consultancy fees. So this was boxed off in the invoice as consultancy fees. Ryan Toberty, NK management, did not provide consultancy fees. Geraldine O'Leary, the commercial director of RT today, was asked, what about this? And she basically said, I can't remember who came up with that phrase or why that was used there. So basically that was keeping Ryan Toberty's name off the books effectively, so that's a big question. Um, another big question is why was the barter account used in, at all in this instance? Why was it run off and not run through the normal pay channels that you would expect um, in a and company like? And just to be like clear, to people
2: at home, by using this barter account to pay the one hundred and there was an eighty thousand fee, a fee to those who supply this facility. Yeah. of the barter account. It in, was an incredibly inefficient way to pay this money. Yeah.
7: It's, it's very hard to understand, to be honest. I, I, I hadn't heard of barter accounts before this week, but people in the advertising industry say that they, they're common enough, but they are expensive to use, and that just seems like a mad expense to add on top.
3: OK, so that's the exactly second question.
7: Um, the third one, this all goes back to a verbal agreement. Mm. How? Mm. What legal standing did a verbal agreement have that everybody felt they had to go ahead with this in the urgency that it was when the money was actually transferred, um, why did nobody else know? If people there had to be people at each step of the way, and wow, how did nobody kind of go, "What is this? This is really unusual," and ask the question? And I think that still doesn't add up. All the answers we heard today of it, it was D Forbes, it was D Forbes, it was D Forbes. Well, D said it was fine. That just doesn't seem to be a sustainable answer, to be honest. Because if that is your answer, well, then you probably shouldn't have been handling those sort of funds if you were taking those sort of direction. And then the last question is around Renault and why did RT pay for their events to take place? Um, We know that around €30,000, but it went through the Barter account again, so it added up to €44,000, was spent on hosting events for Renault because they were promised these Ryan Tuberty gigs would be cost-neutral. Why? Why were RT paying for staging and lighting for things in Renault showrooms around the country? It just seems bizarre.
2: Yeah, there's also questions, as John raised there, around the handling by the chair of the DG, D Forbes, during this time, given the fact that we have now found out that last... Friday week, and I appreciate it is difficult at this stage uh, to keep up to date with all yeah. the facts of the story and the timeline, but last Friday week, before anybody in the public, and certainly anybody in the Aractus knew about this, she had asked D Forbes for her resignation. That, it appears, was refused. She went on holidays. We were told that's where she was. Then we understand she was suspended. Prior to that, we'd had an interview on the 6-1 mm-hmm. News, and then she handed in her resignation last Monday. Yeah, so, so the it's, handling it's- of that...
7: We we'll try to keep it as simple as we can. The week before last, yeah. D Forbes went around RTÉ saying her goodbyes to people because she was she's due to finish up on the I think it's the tenth of July, so a couple of weeks time. But she was taking some time off before that. She had a going away party in a pub in Donnybrook on the Thursday night. On Friday, the report detailing this lands in RTÉ, and the chair of the RTÉ board goes to D Forbes and says, "I think you need to resign." She says, "No." They get over the weekend. Uh, it comes to Monday, the board meet. They realise this is going to be a big problem, but it's not till Wednesday that D Forbes is actually suspended at that point from her role. But she's already now on annual leave. Um, on Thursday, Shu Nirahala, the chair of the board, goes on the Six One News. On RT, does not mention the fact that D Forbes allows everybody to continue believing that D Forbes has actually just gone on holidays, while RT is heading into the biggest storm that it has had in at least a decade, but probably ever. And then we learned the following day that she had actually been suspended. She then resigned on Monday of this week. It's quite a line. And somewhere in the middle of all that, there was an opportunity well, there were several opportunities, let's be honest, for the chair to tell the minister. And I think that is a big problem for the chair now in terms of trust with the government and the minister who she has to report to.
2: Okay. Was it a mistake, do you think, though, to ask for that resignation? Because that was a point that was brought up mm-hmm. repeatedly at the Iraqis Committee today because it put Dee Forbes, as it stands, beyond the reach of the committee. Mm.
5: Well, you know, ultimately, at the heart of all this is the idea that we've been deceived, that both the public have been deceived, the government has been deceived, the minister has been deceived, that the committees have been deceived, both of our committees. And then we are faced today with non-answers and that's what we really got, going round in circles about nobody knew anything, one department didn't talk to the other department and so on. And then it was quite shocking to hear uh, the chair. I mean, we did all question ourselves when we heard the chair of the board on the 6-1 news a week ago um, and no mention of the fact that the the DG was on, on, on leave or suspended. And then to find out today, through question of some of my colleagues, I think it was Deputy Brendan Griffin made the point that she had actually been asked for her res- resignation and refused. Again, it, adds, it compounds this idea of we're not being told the truth, we're not being given all lack the of facts. transparency. Absolutely. Uh, and, and this is against a backdrop, can I just say here, of for every RTE's appearance before our committee is, our financial constraints, our financial constraints, mm. this TV licence is broken, we need more money. Just beggar's belief.
2: Uh, John, one other thing that I think did beggar belief and left people, I think, utterly confused was this idea of a loyalty bonus and perhaps an exit payment mm-hmm. towards Ryan Tuberty. What did you learn about those, or did you get clarity on those figures?
1: Well, probably came out a little bit unclearer. Uh, to be honest. I asked a, a series of questions because it was highlighted in the, the Grant Thornton uh, report when they questioned uh, the uh, DG. Um, she gave a, a whole narrative, and it's outlined in the, the, the audit report, um, that, you know... Um, the basis of the new round of uh, negotiations with regard to the subsequent uh, contract for Ryan Tuberty. Um, they were going to deal with the whole issue of the exit uh, payments and there was an opportunity, a cost-saving opportunity, um, and that's why they are going down this route, and that's outlined in, in, in the report. But when questioned, um, Today, a at, at committee in relation to those payments, it's now clear that there was uh, three payments, 50,000, 50,000 and, and 20,000. Um, but then questions in relation to the nature of those payments, we were told, no, they weren't actually paid. Uh, there was a, a credit issued or some nonsense. So it, it's actually made it more complicated. So instead of getting clarity, it's actually caused uh, more confusion. Um, which is, you know, quite bizarre that we had a, an opportunity here at committee to get clarity on these core issues that aren't going away. Aren't going away. So, you know, I've asked now for uh, a copy of the contract, the five-year contract that was negotiated with Ryan Tuberty, a copy of the uh, the the uh, the tripartite uh, agreement um, also. And this side uh, letter that we were told, um, you know, was, wasn't issued. There was a a verbal agreement in in, in terms of underwriting all of this. Uh, So we need to see all of those documents immediately. Um, Now, there has been an agreement given that they will be forthcoming, but we also need to see sight of uh, the barter accounts. I asked for... um, you know, uh, a, a, a list of the 10, 10 previous years of the Barter accounts, I think they are going to be key because I I, I think that has been used as a, a slush fund. Um, and I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg in, in, in terms of the, the misuse of uh, that particular fund. OK,
2: although I think they would deny that it was used for other issues or other uh, questionable uh, dealings other than perhaps this one. Um, in terms of these exit payments and this loyalty bonus that we learned about today, Neve, are other... On-air talent in RTE, or perhaps previous on-air talent benefiting from clauses like this.
5: Well, we don't know is the honest answer, Kira. Uh, and that question was asked today. They were asked on numerous occasions: um, Was anybody facilitated in this way, or were there any side deals or any you know perks along with the job? Um, and we would, I, I think, we did establish that we are going to get further details on more than just the top 10 earners that we're going to get. I think some of my colleagues have asked for Anybody over a hundred thousand in RTE that we get the full details of what they, who they are, and what their their salaries are, and that that would all be published. So mm-hmm. we have a long way to go in this. Here we we really didn't get sight of the questions that you're asking me tonight. As John has said, I think there was some things more more confused than, than than clarity brought to them. But as I said, this is only the beginning of the process. This my, my committee, which is responsible for media and and for RTE, mm-hmm. will take this further with the help hopefully of the executive of the it, RTE board. Do you expect? the
2: model that is used to recruit, employ on-air talent and RTE to change off the back of this?
5: I think there's going to have to be significant changes within RTE if we are to really consider uh, the TV licence continued funding from government. I mean, the first thing I have to say is everybody does firmly believe in our public broadcaster, in our independent broadcasters as well, and we want to continue to support and fund that because we do recognise how important that is for the democracy of, of the country. However, I think RTE has reached... Um, not just a crisis point, but a point where they realise that things cannot continue the same, that there has to be huge changes, Mm. there has to be proper governance, there has to be proper oversight and proper accountability, and things cannot continue as they have done up to this point. Okay.
2: one of the other things people were looking for today, uh, Keith, was details around Patrick Keelty, the new host of the Late Late Show, that we want to get full details of uh, his deal. That has been promised uh, by Friday if... Um, Patrick Kilty agrees to that, and I think he's indicated that he will. Do you think that will help to restore trust?
4: Look, I mean, first of all, I want to say, well done today. Uh, some of the best content RT were involved in in years, and uh, we, you know it, it didn't cost that much, and the ratings were up on our Octus TV. If I was Patrick Kilty, I'd run a mile I wouldn't get involved. I'd stay away and I'd do my own thing, and I just wouldn't take the job. I'd turn it down now.
2: OK, and um, one other uh, issue that came up today, Kevin, was Ryan Tuberty himself mm-hmm. and his future. Um, there was conflicting statements at the start of the day from RTE and from Ryan Tubridy himself about whether or not he is still in contract.
7: Yeah, another thing that they turned into a muddle and made probably far more confusing than it needed to be. RT had initially said he wasn't in contract. Sources close to Ryan Toberty came back and disputed that. And by the end of the hearing, the line was that, well, his TV element ended with the Late Late Show, but he's still in radio contract, still being paid, even though he's not on air at the moment. And that that's up for renegotiation, but that's been paused. To be honest, Kira, and I know lots of people were saying, what's next for Ryan Tuberty? I don't think Ryan Tuberty will be back in RTE. Not because of anything we heard at a committee today, but because of the...
3: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
4: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's slash upgrade.
7: 200 staff we saw outside the RTE canteen yesterday. How do you walk back into that canteen for your morning coffee before going in to present a radio show? It's a very, people have come back from worse,
2: mm.
7: but will you be back in RTE? It's very hard to see after all this.
2: Do you think people have some sympathy at all for him? I mean, we heard D Forbes in her statement yesterday, or I think it was on Monday, um, talking about... Her own mental health and, and yeah. the medical um, difficulties that she's facing, because I presume the pressure that she faces, you'd have to presume he is under enormous pressure too.
7: I think, to be honest, and, and I'll get abused on Twitter for saying it, I have a lot of sympathy for all the people in this. I don't think anybody wanted to end up here. Okay. A lot of mistakes were made, and people have to be honest about that, and sometimes how you deal with the mistakes compounds it. But if you looked at each of the. I've looked at. And you'd
2: have to say it wasn't dealt with well by any of the parties. No, but I've watched far.
7: committees for years and, and this is one of the more exciting ones, dare I say it, which is why we're all talking about it. I have never seen a group of people go into the committee and look so sheepish and so broken before they even got the first question asked of them today. That's the position they're in. So I would have, on a, on a human level like people are having a terrible, terrible time, but the only way they can end that is to give the answers that people need.
2: Yeah. yeah. Very finally, John, there was a threat of the government parachuting somebody in an outsider to oversee operations there, should that happen?
1: look I mean we need to um, see the documentation that has been requested that needs to be furnished immediately we will have a, another meeting tomorrow at the public accounts committee I, I hope there will be more clarity more frankness from um, those who will be participating in that meeting um, because certainly if uh, tomorrow is a repeat of, of, of today I, I think it's incumbent on the government then to appoint someone to go in and um, to oversee what is essential now at this point uh, to restore confidence in uh, the public broadcaster.
2: All right look i are going to leave that there for now, my thanks to Neve and to John for joining me. Kevin and Keith are staying with me as we discuss the growing rates of depression and anxiety in our younger population. What's causing it? That's next. You're very welcome back. Kevin and Keith are still here with me, and I'm also joined now by Dr. Susan Brannock, AWARE's clinical director, because an AWARE survey has shown very high levels of depression and anxiety, particularly among the under 25 age group. You're very welcome to the programme, Doctor. This was an online survey of 1200 adults that was carried out between the end of April and the beginning of May of this year, which has been probably, you know, a stressful time for a lot Mm. of people given the cost of living crisis. Um, But still in saying that, I was quite shocked by the figures today. Three in five reported an experience of depression, Mm. four in five reported an experience of anxiety. Let's look to the depression first of Mm. all. How many of those were diagnosed with Mm. depression as opposed to having a perception that they were depressed? Yeah, and it's a
3: good question. So about a quarter of those had a diagnosis of depression. Um, And I suppose it's helpful maybe to think think about depression as well along a continuum, so from mild to moderate to severe. Certainly people may have an experience of a low mood or depression for a short while. There's also a proportion of people that we found that whose life is severely impacted by low mood to the point that they're not able to get out of bed to function in their daily life. So that group of people is a a smaller number than the three and five, so it's helpful to put it in context. And that group as well certainly need uh, evidence-based um, clinical services like a psychologist or a mental health team. In terms of those people who have dealt
2: with or are dealing with anxiety, how many people are dealing with that on a frequent basis?
3: Yeah, a large amount. So a large amount of the the, the, the people surveyed. And again, similar amounts actually certainly concerning maybe is the 18 to 24 age groups. So of that group, if we think about that continuum again, they're experiencing quite severe levels of anxiety to the point again that it's impacting on their daily life. That group as well, 18 to 24, are more likely to be on a wait list for mental health treatment. And it's possible that um, the longer people are waiting, that can be one contributing factor to a deterioration in anxiety or depression. And was it the same amongst young men as young women? Uh, similar rates, yeah. So the age group kind of, it was similar across the board. What the survey did show is interestingly, which aligns with other research, is that men are less likely, uh, from the people we surveyed, to, to seek help. Um, so I guess in AWARE, we would really encourage people to to really contact their GP or to talk to someone they can trust if they notice that things aren't okay and if things haven't been okay for a while, whether that's feeling very low or feeling very anxious or maybe just not feeling able to cope. I guess there is help out there and there's going to be the right help for people if, if, they, can, if they can get to it. If they can access it yeah. and if they
2: are able to access Indeed. it. What was the main drivers of the anxiety in particular that people were feeling?
3: Mm. Well, it's interesting. So financial factors were the main driver across the board. So that we saw that from 18 all the way to 55 plus. Um, so financial issues are, a hu- are causing a huge impact um, on people's mental well-being, certainly anxiety and depression. As Even we- amongst
2: those who are 18 to 24 years of age, you'd imagine you know, the large majority of them are probably in third level College, yeah. you know, their finances was something that was front and center of their sure. lives.
3: Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I guess that study from last week showed that Ireland is one of the most expensive countries in the EU in terms of consumer goods. So, I guess there's a context that we're all living in. The 18 to 24 group, the big, the other biggest issue that was driving their distress is housing, and that's we're seeing that across the board as well. So, and in the under 34 group too. So, I guess we're seeing those issues play out in terms of mental health and well being. They're going to impact people.
2: And um, Keith. What are you putting the sort of extra anxiety that we're seeing down to? And is this the anxiety that we're seeing and that you've experienced of, is it beyond, I suppose, the day-to-day stresses that people feel? Like, you might feel anxious about starting a new job, a busy day at the mm. office, an exam at the end of the year, yeah. um, a house share that's not going well. There's lots of just normal, everyday events that can create anxiety. Is this beyond that?
4: Look, I think it's important to say that there's nothing wrong with anxiety, there's nothing mm. wrong with stress, and these are, you know, normal, everyday things that you have to deal with. It's it, the, the problem is only if you don 't feel like you can admit that you ever get stressed or you 're anxious and you feel like you have to kind of just you know masking is a big thing, so young people might be in the house with their with their students and they go to college on monday and they 're like they 're constantly masking but but if you 're masking and pretending that you 're not anxious or you 're not stressed eventually it will you will become a, you will become a cropper because it will catch up on you and then you will like the depression the anxiety, and the stress becomes anxiety and stress becomes depression if you don't get to talk about the most powerful thing you can do for yourself is to talk to somebody about it and we've encouraged young people over the last 10 12, 15 years you know talk uh, talk to somebody find someone that will listen to you uh, and talk to them and and now we need to start listening because now they're saying when they're anxious they're saying when they're stressed and instead of being, let's not be the generation who start calling them names like Snowflake and they don't know they're born and all that kind of stuff, let's now that we've encouraged them to talk. Let's listen to them, ask them what they need, rather than telling them what they need. It's just time. I, I think it's very interesting, but I think it's it's, it's almost... It's not, I'm not saying it's good news, but it's good because I think young people are better at telling uh, their peers and this survey how they're feeling, which is a good thing. I,
2: I'm just wondering, just to pick up one other thing you said, Should that the biggest concerns were financial and housing. Is it... Current concerns with their financial situation current. or their housing, yeah. or is it future that they're concerned about? I,
3: well, I guess the study didn't necessarily specify, but I suppose, it's, it's a, as I said, it's a snapshot of, of the current day-to-day life, so it's probably most likely going to be current. I guess the, the thing to say as well about... Um, the study did show that four in five people did reach out for help, so I really agree. It's, it's really great that people are, are much more aware of what depression is, what anxiety is, the kind of mental health awareness campaigns are working, so now that it's time, really, for government funding to manage. That awareness. And what kind
2: of help are they seeking?
3: Well, most people are going to their GP, which is really good, so that's the really important first port of call. So the GP can link people in with either psychological therapy services or link them into an organisation like AWARE, where they can access peer support or free education programmes. People are also going to someone they trust so the 18 to 24 group are talking more so than going to GPs. They're, they're talking to someone they can confide in. So I guess the key message really is not to struggle alone. Mm. You can get help with it. Yeah, because
2: what was interesting, Kevin, one of the findings was 81% of women who have anxiety will seek support. Mightn't actually surprise people. Women are quite good at talking about their fel- feelings. 31% of men.
7: Yeah. And that's Seek support. probably a stat that's as old as time.
2: It's yeah, always and it really been... surprised me that given the fact that we've had so many conversations and open conversations now mm-hmm. that it is okay not to feel okay. Is there, why is there still this reluctance amongst younger men, do you think?
7: Well, I think there is another stat in there that I think one-fifth of people who uh, talked about having depression or anxiety found that they were fe- treated unfairly by an employer, by family member, by friends. So there is still a fear of that stigmatising and look it comes back maybe to, macho is probably an unfair way of putting it but it does I think to some extent come back to your man's not he's a bit soft he's not really able to cope with things and I think sometimes in, in the world it still exists it is, it is a mentality that has always been there that men have to stand stronger and so there is probably still a reluctance to actually put their hand up and go I need help or I need to slow down or I need to take a deep breath before I can deal with the situation in front of me and I think you have to keep the campaigns and the supports and the services going that we get there because 31% is probably a hell of a lot better than it was Mm -hmm. a decade ago. So it might take another decade to get to 40% or 50%. But it's moving in the right direction.
2: But it is moving in the right direction. I'm just wondering internationally, how do these rates compare? I know, I don't think that was covered in this story, Mm, but just from maybe previous experiences you've had. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Well, I mean, we know that Ireland shows um, one of the higher mental health rates um, across Europe. So the third highest rates of mental health difficulty uh, certainly our findings with young people are replicated in terms of recent EU um, research that said, yeah, this group are experiencing more severe problems and an unmet need. So they're less likely to be accessing services. There's longer wait lists. They're not getting the help that they, that they may need.
2: Do you feel that social media has a role to play in this? And when I mean a role, I mean to take some responsibility. I mean, in terms of the blame for the anxiety that young people are, are feeling
4: Yeah. in as much as sort of, you know, alcohol has, uh, uh, you know, uh, has to take responsibility or sugar has to take responsibility, social media is an addiction. And if you're feeling low or if you're feeling stressed or you're feeling anxious, it gives you the dopamine to survive whatever you're going through. So you will find kids scrolling just because of how they're feeling. Do Um, do you think
2: people realise it's an addiction? Do you think people talk about their social media habits in that, in those terms.
4: Well, I don't think so because, like, with any addiction, like you know, in this country, with alcohol, with 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 social media, with food, whatever, we just look at the addiction. We don't ask the question about why is this person doing that. So all we do is maybe you know, as parents or guardians, we're very critical of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. They're on that phone again. What are you doing on the phone? Rather than just sort of sitting with them, talking to them, seeing how they're doing, it's. A, I would see that as a sign of something. If you if your child is using the phone, they're scrolling a lot. It's an don't punish them. Talk to them. Sit down with them. Get down on the floor with them. With their at their level and have a chat with them and see where they're at and why why are they in in their bedrooms on their phones. The okay, day, there
2: right? is one other issue that's come up in this program time and time again when we discuss this, uh, Doctor, and that's the idea that we are talking a lot about anxiety and we're not talking enough about resilience. What's your feelings
3: when it comes to that? Yeah, and I, certainly the study showed that the majority of people are asking for help and people, most of the people that we asked are doing something for their mental health. So that might be looking after their diet, getting good sleep, uh, doing things that are meaningful to them, getting so people, out in nature. People
2: want to tackle it. People are trying to build that resilience. And
3: people are doing it, which is really good to hear. So I guess it's, it's kind of mapping on the services then to meet the additional need for people who are still struggling. All right, we're going to leave that there for now.
2: My thanks to Keith and to Dr. Bannock for coming in to us this evening. Next, some good news to talk about. Women's World Cup fever. The squad has been announced... But what are our chances in Australia? Do you stay with us? Republic of Ireland's soccer manager Vera Powell says she gave injured players every chance to recover in time for the Women's World Cup in Australia. But Eva Mannion, Megan Campbell and Leanne Kiernan all missed out on a selection for the 23 player squad through injury. The training on the
6: pitch nuts, that is the easy part. You gain energy from it. But having to decide to break the dreams of players, that is yeah, that's, um, draining. Uh, But it's my task. It's worse for them. Um, It's devastating to see uh, that you you have to tell them. Kevin is still here with me and I'm
2: also joined this evening by sports journalist Alana Kanan. You're very welcome to the programme. Look, it was a day of extremes. Absolute joy for those who found out they're going down under to take part in this World Cup. But I don't think it is understating it to say it was utter devastation for those left behind.
6: It definitely was, yeah. So the 23-player squad and then the three standby players as well. But even at that, there was still a few left out, as you mentioned there. Some through injury and some just couldn't get back fit in time. So I know Vera Pau described it this morning as devastating and the worst day of her career. I don't doubt it because like, it has to be agonising for those who haven't made it. But I just say, delight for those who have. Yeah, as she said there, it is broken dreams. As you said, maybe it is some consolation
2: for those who are injured. You know, they ruled themselves out of the squad. But there's others who weren't and who didn't
6: make the cut. Who were you surprised by? I think uh, Jamie Finn is probably the biggest omission. Um, So she played in a lot of Ireland's qualification games and was a big player in them too. You know, she's a very versatile player. Um, but I think what speaks best to her character is she actually released a statement this evening mm-hmm. saying that she understands that it's elite sport. Vera Pow has said the same thing during the week and in the last few weeks as well. And that that's just the nature of it. You know, we're getting to this level where the Irish team are competing on the world stage and they're good enough to do so as well. So she understands that, you know, this is just the cutthroat nature of it now. And uh, I think it's a, a testament to her character as well. You know, that she's standing by the girls and looking forward to supporting them now. And even as a training player too, she's still well up for it. It's a real indication of the strength of the team
2: when you're struggling to pick your 23. That is a positive out of this.
6: Yeah, like we have players playing all over the world in the WSL and in the NDW, NWSL over in America and across Europe too. But as well, we've home-based players as well, the women's Premier Division players. We've two in there in Abby Larkin and Anya Gorman for Shamrock Rovers and nine former uh, Women's Premier Division players too. So, you know, we really are building women's football in this country and I'd say this will only evolve it even further.
2: I'm just wondering, given the fact that those female players have been through so much, and we don't need to get into the controversy, but they've been through a really, really tough time. and um, They also went in through a tough time in terms of you know going on strike because of how they were being treated by the FEA. They would have stood together as a team. I imagine that was all part of their mindset and their mentality. How do you regroup now when you know some of your closest friends and players are being left behind?
6: For sure. I know the atmosphere this morning at the announcement anyways was very kind of... I suppose there was a bit of tension in the air, but I think now they kind of have to cross that bridge and kind of set that aside now. Because while it was great that everyone acknowledged those that missed out and the big part they did play in the qualif- qualification campaign, there is now obviously the small matter of the first inter- first um, World Cup and the first big tournament Ireland women's have made it to. So um, they'll have to take it in their stride now and look forward to the matches. And as I know, there was an event this evening where they kind of were able to let loose a little bit and kind of relax amongst each other's company. And celebrate, celebrate exactly. the achievement. Because as you say, like, it is devastating for those who haven't made it. But for those who have, I mean, this is going to be the, like, soccer tournament of a lifetime, the football tournament of a lifetime even.
2: Yeah, Kevin, it's the first time the Ireland women's football team has qualified for the World Cup. And let's face it, we have been waiting for a football tournament in this country for a long, long time. Will you follow it all?
7: We need this. We do. We absolutely I, I need I do it. feel
2: like and, we need a lift.
7: Yeah, and things have been tough. And this team has been a great lift for the country. And let's be honest, Kira we're not going to win the World Cup. Let's put that out there now. OK, I like um, to go into
2: these things with complete yeah. optimism from the outset. No, 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 I don't no, deal no. with reality when Ireland are in a competition. No, we're kind of...
7: But what we can do is go in with the Jack Charlton era idea of give it a lash. So the teams we're playing, Australia, Canada, they, they are classed above us. There's no doubt about that.
2: Nigeria. Nigeria the as well. So like the,
7: the, we are the underdogs in our group. The likelihood of us, fair to say, Alana, getting out of that group is, is slim. But we want to put in a good performance. Um, Most people in this country love a good bandwagon and this is a good one to get on this summer, I think.
2: Oh, we'll be jumping jumping on it. What's it gonna do for the game, do you think, if they perform at all?
7: I think even even if they lose all their games, the very fact that we're there is a monumental breakthrough for the team. And now that we have an expectation, I mean, you've seen the games in Tala with sellout stadiums uh, for, for women's football. That was unimaginable five years ago. We don't even have to go back a decade. That was unimaginable that short time ago. Um, there will be, it's such a cliche, but there'll be girls up and down the country kicking footballs around gardens and, and parks and roads. Um, later in the summer on the back of this. So it's going to do a huge boost for for women's soccer but also women's sport which we know all the study shows needs more support uh, and needs more young girls to stay playing as Mm. well. So now there is something to play for.
2: Because so many of them tend to drop out when they get to their teenage years. What do you think Alana? What is the key thing that has brought this team to this point?
6: I think um, even just touching on what you said there, like there is form in them putting it up to the teams that are ranked above them. And we've seen them continuously rise through the ranks, even in the qualification period. So while we are ranked against two of the top 10 teams in the world, and then one of the best African nations as well, like I'm not saying we're going to win it either. It is up against us, but we do have form in um, putting it up to these teams. And I think they're well capable of that. You know, we have world stars too. Katie McCabe, Denise Sullivan, Louise Quinn, Ni Fahi. you could go on. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably a key point that even in the squad announcement video, you know, while um, young girls have uh, loads of male football stars to look up to, they're going to have lots of women football stars to look up to now after this.
2: How big a deal is it to play the host nation in their first match? We're playing Australia.
7: Well, if you want to go to the World Cup and you want to be centre stage and you want people to be talking about you, that's what you want. And Australia are one of the best teams in the world as well. And there will be a huge Irish crowd there because we know how many Irish people are over in Australia and how many have gone even in recent years. So they won't have it all their own way in terms of the tickets, I imagine, for that game. It's fantastic. You couldn't... Sorry, well, you could have. You could have dreamt of a better draw whereby we were playing someone that we might expect to beat and you'd get off to win. But to be honest, if you want the glamour of a World Cup, you want to be playing the best. And in the last football to play-
2: tournament that we watched, there was huge upset, actually. That's what made the last World Cup, which we didn't qualify for in the men's I don't, I don't mean to so, be too... I'm just setting yeah, the expectations just... <laughs> low so
7: that if it goes well... I don't do
2: that. I don't because... do that. Absolute optimism from the get-go. In terms of the support that they're going to have, they were meant to be playing a stadium of about 42,000, weren't they, in this first match? And that's almost doubled because of the demand in tickets. Is that demand coming from the Aussies? Or can the Irish claim some of that?
6: Bit of a mix of both. I know it's sold out uh, this week, and I think that was an 82,000 Cedar Stadium in Sydney. So it does tell you that demand is there and that want to go is there. I know even on an anecdotal level, I know a lot of people over in Australia, Irish people that are going to go, and then loads travelling over too. So I think from both sides, we'll, we'll have a good contingent there in the stadium come the 20th of July. Yeah, so that's the 20th of July. They head out on the
2: seventh of July, so they have a couple of weeks to acclimatise. What is the climate going to be like for them?
6: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, surely, because um, as we were mentioning, like you know, they, it is the winter over in Australia, but it wouldn't be like our winter, I'm led to believe, anyways. But before that, anyways, they've the France game next week as a warm up game, and then, as you say, they fly out, they play Colombia behind closed doors, and then all eyes on Australia. So, a lot to look forward to. Uh, in terms of the times for the game, that was one of my first concerns. Am I going to have to get
2: up in the middle of the night to watch these games? But they're not bad for an Irish audience, Kevin? You know,
7: well, actually, it'll suit you, Kira, because you work this late <laughs> at night. So you, you I can...
2: work 24-7, actually, <laughs> Kevin. We can do any times here.
7: Watching Aroctus committees during the day. But no, they are they're mostly set in the morning to early afternoon. So actually, it'll be one of those things of offices around the country having the games on people will obviously be a lot of people be on their holidays and we'll have time out during the day but so it's not necessarily pints in the pub at seven in the evening but maybe you'd have a sneaky one with your lunch
2: i think the game is at 11 and one o'clock so you make a phone in then and we will of course be sending our own uh, reporter over to follow those games and we'll be bringing you all of the action here every night all right um you will be reporting from home but it's going to be an incredible couple of weeks, isn't it? Yeah,
6: I missed out on the squad selection, but
2: maybe I'll make the next one. (laughs) All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you both for coming into us this evening. That is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms, and you can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, VMTV. But from all of the late team here, good night, and as always, take care.